Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm Chris Quinn with my co-host, Dom Ditola. And we're here just talking sports. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about the soccer player, Johan Cruyff. Yes, I always love these soccer episodes because I go in with a completely blank slate and then just become overwhelmingly fascinated by these guys' stories because Chris knows who they are, so I'm just like, well, if he picked them, they're probably pretty cool. Yeah, but this one had a bunch of stuff that I didn't know about him, um, which is why we love doing this research, why we hope you guys love this podcast. Um, just the little intricate things that happen behind the scenes. I oh, love it. absolutely. No, and this this was definitely a good, uh, good subject yeah. for soccer. Uh, Johan was born uh, April 25th, 1947, right outside of the Amsterdam, uh, the Ajax Stadium. Yeah, in East Amsterdam. He grew up there, was born and raised there, and, you know, basically grew up next to his future profession. Yeah, I love that because he, he grew up literally like down the street and his mom was like a washerwoman for him and his dad was like a, a groundskeeper kind of guy or his stepdad was his stepdad, yeah yes. yeah um because uh, johan's dad died when he was uh, around uh, 12 years old yeah and he kind of had a realization that like okay i'm really good at soccer you know my dad couldn't get medical the medical care he needed because they didn't have enough money he's like i'm gonna do everything in my power to find a way and if soccer's the way to do it, I'm going to do it. So that doesn't happen to me because he had like a similar heart condition. Yeah, he actually had it at the exact same age, which yeah. we'll, we'll bring back uh, later. Mm -hmm. But he starts playing in the in the IX youth team and they pretty much immediately see his talent. So, yeah, it's pretty evident. Yeah. A lot of the time you're given um, what's called like a trial or like a tryout period. Yeah. And he actually wasn't given that. They pretty much just promoted him to the to the first team. Yeah. And he, he had credits being going to the stadium every day to see his mom and his stepdad. And he said he was never in awe of any of the players, yes. no matter how young he was, just because it was second nature to him. He had seen all of that stuff that may intimidate a younger player. And at this time, they would need like bodies. So like he was a young guy and in, yeah. the, in the first team practice, they'd be like, oh, we're going to play, you know, six on six and we're missing somebody. You want to join in? And he would just start playing with them. So yeah. he was, he he was, was like a, on the scout team as like a young teenager. Yes. Basically. Yes. And I found it interesting that he was apparently a decent baseball player. Okay. So this is where up. I wanted to go next okay. was he gets this idea in his head about how every player on the field should be able to play every position and understand it. Yeah, and that I know we're going to get into that later. It's and, fucking yes. brilliant. Well, it this is. is he says that it didn't originate from soccer. It originated from him playing catcher and baseball yep. and seeing the entire field and being like, "Why can't I do this in soccer and control a game like a catcher and know what everybody's kind of doing?" Yeah. You know? And and um, usually they say catchers are the smartest players on the field in baseball because they see everything. They're yep. the only player kind of with that perspective to, you know, you're the one working with the pitcher. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and you see the whole field. That was the the big thing that he was like, why can't we do this with soccer? So he gets uh, promoted to the IX first team, uh, 65, so, yeah. well, 64, um, and starts playing 65 and 
turns the team around completely in around and he, such he, a way. He's like Lazarus at affecting teams. Yeah, like Jesus with Lazarus, just yeah. rising from the dead. It's actually interesting. He was the second professional player that IX ever signed. So this is the okay. era in which professionals are starting to be signed. They're not semi-professionals. They're not like yeah. woodworkers and soccer players. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's actually the second professional that they signed. And in his first year, he had 25 goals in 23 games, which that, is... That's insane. It's, and it's, it's 1965, it, so he's 18 playing against grown-ass men. Yes, and dominating. And they yeah. say that his huge attribute right up, right off the bat was he's able to do things at speed. Yes, I, I noticed that too, almost kind of like messy. Yes, exactly. Like just the way that his feet move and just the way he can make cuts. That's what makes good wide receivers is the yes. way that they can control their speed, and the, but they can turn it on and off like that. And almost little feints that you almost don't see unless you're like right up in this face. You yeah. know what I mean? Like... And we'll get back into Messi later. That's a great. That's a great one because yeah. it, it comes back around. But he is so dominant in this Ajax team that really turns around. They weren't a great team. They were middle of the the league, yeah. and then they go on to win three consecutive titles. Which is crazy to think that a team that not good could make that type of strides with one guy. With one guy. One guy. Yeah, one guy, and he said it. Um, him and this other player were really trying to push this philosophy of total football, which is yes, his... Yes, and the coach, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, I forget what the... The coach's name is uh, Mikos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who they have, like, kind of a, a rocky relationship, but he said he was the backbone of this, seeing that these players can play any position and letting them be more free. They're, the freedom the started flow, to come out. because I have your back, you have mine. It's almost like a zone defense or a zone blitz where you just switch guys in and out as far as what they're doing on a specific play. It's it's very much like a zone and a and a trust that you have in your fellow players that I don't think was there before. No, but it created really exciting an exciting brand of soccer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so they did the they did three consecutive titles. They also did the double mm-hmm. um, with anybody knows that's that. winning pretty much every competition in your in your league. Um, they did it in 67 and in 69. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a great, great team. So I want to talk about <clears throat> I want to talk about him coming back to so he got injured in like 69. yeah, and he came back and decided not to wear the number nine. Yeah, he wanted to switch his number because ever, in soccer only one to eleven was used. Only one to eleven, and it was also used for your position. Yeah, so it's like baseball when they started numbering. It was players. like baseball yeah. when they started numbering, and he thought that this was so wrong because it kind of put players in their place. Like, hey, you're a number nine, you're a striker. Yeah, you're... it, it de- defeats the purpose of the free flowing soccer that he wanted to play. Exactly. So he comes back and he's wearing number fourteen, and people are like saying that it's disgraceful. This is how crazy it is at oh that my time. God. Is they're saying that he's kind of like taking the piss out of the game and not giving it the respect that deserves. And then he's over here being like, I'm trying to make this game... Respect, it's a number. He should have worn 69 to piss you assholes off exactly. more. Exactly. <laughs> but he's like, he's like, I'm trying to revolutionize this game. I'm trying to change this game. And just mm. this little number change was one of these things that kind of... That did it, you know? Yeah. No, he was his own soccer player. That's for damn sure. 
because I saw um, in 71, while he was with Ajax, they won the European Cup. Yes, and this is when, I was going to say, 71, 72, mm-hmm. they start um, beating these uh, really European, good European teams. teams. They, actually, they actually win three European titles. There was actually two different ones at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they beat the Rangers in 72, and they beat, uh, who did they beat? Juventus in 73. Mm-hmm. And when they beat Juventus in 73, they talk about the end of that game as like the 20 minutes of the best football you'll ever see. Is oh, cool. Johan Cruyff doing this uh, move that he revolutionized. Oh, the World Cup one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, yes, the... I think it's called the Cruyff turn. Cruyff turn, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a feint, but if you see it now, you'll see it like players do it so much. Yeah, but to be able to do that with your feet and be like the first guy to do it, it's almost like Rodney Mullen. Yeah. like just, I was thinking of Rodney Mullen because yeah. he revolutionizes the way that the game's played and then later revolutionizes the way that it's coached. Oh, most definitely. And uh, Renus Mickles is the coach's Renus name. Mickles, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Total football. But uh, in '73, he ends up moving on from Ajax. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about this. So, okay. the first player to become a professional, uh, his name is Kaiser. I forget mm-hmm. what his first name is. Um, they're pretty much best friends throughout mm-hmm. coming up. Like he pretty much took Johan under his wing and kind of taught him about, or they really were talking about total football and what that is. Yeah. In the summer of 73, the Ajax locker room decides to have a vote on who they think the captain of the team will be. Okay. Johan has been the captain since he was like 20. Yeah. Um, he says, hey, if you guys are going to vote, I'm just going to leave because it's obvious that you don't want me as right? a captain. Yeah. A lot of people talk about his personality being very abrasive. Yeah, he seemed like a very to-the-point guy. Yes, like, 100%. No bullshit, just cross and the board. And this is in this era, this is the time where we see semi professionals becoming professionals, and he is not giving guys any leeway. He no. He, he expects everybody to be at a top professional level. Yeah. And they're kind of like, We don't give a shit how good you are. We want you out because you're an asshole. Yeah. Which sucks. Which which totally sucks. And he said that his his uh his friend he was kind of felt betrayed because he put his name up for the captaincy. Oh no, what a douche. Yeah. Oh. So this all happens and he pretty much goes to his agent and he's like, Hey, find me a new club. Right. And luckily he goes to a perfect club. The perfect club, which is we're it's such a crazy thing. He gets sold to Barcelona for six million euro, which was a shit ton of money back yeah. then. For, well, I mean, I don't think they had the euro back in those days. Oh no, you're right. But the the oh, it's that's the what equivalent it, of yes, yeah. I forget exactly what it was because I think they they bought them in Dutch. Oh, the yeah, that the Dutch money. The Dutch money, yes, <laughs> yeah, the so, Dutch money. Yes, Spanish was pesetas at the time. But yeah, yeah, but I don't think they were. You know what I mean? They yeah, had to yeah. exchange the, the it. Dutch money. <laughs> yeah, whatever the Dutch were. Chocolate buying. or clogs, exactly. bartering system. That's not nice, but that's okay. But um, he. <laughs> comes to Barcelona and changes everything. Oh, he totally does. He comes in there like a bat out of hell. And Barcelona is not a what people think of them today as. Oh, they were awful. So yeah. since the 60s, I think that was the last time they had won a La Liga title. Mm-hmm. was uh, 1960. And I want to talk about him coming in real quick because yeah. in Spain... They have a fascist president. At the no, time. it's Franco. It was what I was talking about with Messi, dude. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they have Franco in there, and a lot of people are talking shit that he goes and is playing in this La Liga, and he 
is confused by this because yeah, he, he feels understand. like yeah he feels like this doesn't have anything to do with me and in retrospect he talks about he understands now the political value that football had on these yeah um, and he's going to the team that opposes franco the most exactly in the region that opposes franco the most and always historically did in catalonia so people were saying what a political move this was and he was like i i didn't get that at yeah, the time right. And first year, first time they play Real Madrid, they crush them five nothing. And and Real Madrid is Franco's team. Franco's like he puts money into the team. Yeah, like he's their team. And they say that Johan Cruyff did for the Catalonia political system in the in that ninety minutes more than politicians had done in the past decade. And that's, it's such a great. That's awesome about sports. Sometimes. Well, right? that's when he started to realize what it what this was. Yeah, and know? he named his, his son, Jordi, a Catalonian name. Yes. Like a common Catalonian name, who was born in Spain, yeah. Well, that's it, there's another story where they tried to tell him that he couldn't name him Jordi. Yeah. And he threw a fit and said he actually probably wouldn't have been able to if he wasn't so famous. Oh, easily not, if he were just like a run-of-the-mill player. Yeah. yeah. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I love that little backstory where he kind of changes the political environment of Spain. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. And they keep winning with him in their lineup. Oh, they he changes the... The mentality of Barcelona. That's what they say. He pretty much comes in. He's like, we're winning everything. Yeah. Like, you don't want to win. Get the hell out of here. Yep. And they win. He was 1974's footballer of the year. I mean, winning La Liga titles his first year and multiple years while he's there. He had 53 goals in 48 games. Yep. <laughs> the The goal scoring record that he had, people didn't think was going to be broken. And then... Got broken by Messi and Ronaldo, but he was such a prolific goal scorer in a time where goal scoring wasn't a big thing. No, uh -uh. games were ending one nothing, zero zero two one. My favorite kind of soccer. Exactly. He came in and was like, "We need to be crushing these teams five nothing." Yeah. People are like, oh, "Okay, I, I guess." Like, the, the more goals, the better, I guess. Yes, that was definitely his take on it. Mm -hmm. um, so we go into so he's killing it in Barcelona, and we go into this dutch um dream team and yeah you, you love my my the nickname for them um because instead of their red white and blue for their flag the dutch teams whenever they compete in sports always were orange you know uh but they called their team name the clockwork orange which i find fantastic <laughs> yeah no it's a great team name for that especially because that's not a a great book to no you know, not to, at all to associate yourself with but they did yeah and they made their mark for sure <laughs> so in 74 um they traveled to germany and yeah. west germany at west the time. yes yeah. west germany and pretty much right off the bat established that they're the best team yeah and they're the most fun team to watch because they're playing this total football yes yeah and it, it really is from top to bottom in the dutch makeup of their team where everybody really is that much like everybody in their position is that much better than everybody else on the opposite team and they can play multiple positions yes. if need be which you know leads them to just running through teams 
it's actually interesting. Yeah. The uh, 1970 uh, Brazilian coach came out and said that the only time in soccer that I ever saw a team be completely different than everybody else was mm -hmm. the 74 Dutch team. And they were just like a decade ahead of everybody else. Yeah, no. And they had beat Brazil on the way to the final. Yep. And they play with the host country, West Germany, and things are looking good kind of right off the bat for them. Yes. And there's some controversy with this game. And there was also, um, back then, there was kind of controversy with the way they laid it out. So I think the final was like three days after the semifinal, which oh, was no. not right. Yeah. And they were celebrating beating Brazil because Brazil was the returning champions yeah. as like that was the win. And he said in the oh, locker shoot. room, they had the wrong mentality. Yeah. Like they had already won. Yeah. There's, you still got one more to go. Yep. Yeah. And Germany has a great, uh, defender at this time. Um, Beckenbauer. Yeah. He was, uh, involved in the, cause I was there at the time, um, the year before, but he was like the main guy that ran the 2006 World Cup. Yep. He was like the face stamp on that. He's like super famous in Germany. He's like Hasselhoff level in Germany. Yes. And yeah. he was a defender that was essentially doing what Johan Cruyff was doing as an offender. So yeah. he was like their one piece that helped them win. They got a pretty kind of a controversial penal penalty. Yeah, they had the penalty kick because the Dutch got the penalty kick first and they they went ahead one to zero yep. or nil or whatever they call it. And the Germans ended up coming back like right before halftime or is it halftime? Yeah. I, I, okay, yep. cool. All right. But yeah, and then they ended up scoring two goals. Yeah, which it sucks because people talk about if they played 10 games, the Dutch would win nine of them. Yeah. That's the kind of... It's the one game format, though. You yeah. Know, anything can happen. Anything can happen. That's true. That's why I kind of like it. Also, Germany playing at home and you yeah. know, all this shit. Um, this is where the Dutch team, and everybody says it, this is their golden era. They it really is. Best yeah. players. This 74, 78, and then kind of again in 82, but that, we'll get into that. Even players now remember that team like that that yes. was the golden era um, yes definitely even the uh the a football in holland yeah the 2006 10 teams weren't weren't anywhere near them with with van Persie and and robin but that that's what we see is he is really a great facilitator in this in these teams to, he's almost like jason kidd yes to <laughs> to put his his system in play yeah and he has a system like no players probably had a system in their heads of how the game should be played. But exactly. His soccer IQ is just through the roof. So in 75, he retires from Barcelona. Yeah. Um, I think this is really interesting because he says one of the biggest mistakes was retiring at 31. Yes, he has. To, yeah, I read that. Because at the time, everybody was retiring at 31. Yeah. They weren't in the best physical condition, all of that, all of that stuff. And he was a smoker too. He smoked his whole life. Yeah. He smoked like a pack and a half his whole, every day, his whole life. Oh like it's God. crazy. I can't even imagine that. Um, sounds horrible. So he retires and loses all of his money. Yeah. And not like in a, you know, an American way where it's normally guys just blowing it on useless stuff. It was one of those investment type of deals where he just lost it through poor investments if you listen to our Rocket Ishmael episode. It's exactly like the Rocket Ishmael episode because people were telling him these were sound investments and they yeah. were, I can't tell if they were 
taking advantage of him or were just so stupid. yeah, just so stupid <laughs> yeah. because he said he lost millions of dollars in a pig farm. Yeah. He tried to like have like three pig farms oh and like God. all of his pigs died and like you know what I mean? Like so he said he lost uh upwards of like six or seven million, pretty much all of his money. And he was feeling so bad because in a span of like six months, he went from financially secure for the rest of his life to his wife having to sell their loft and yep. move into like a small apartment. Which is crazy to think. It's like he's playing soccer, not only because he loves it, but now he's playing to, you know, not be poor. <laughs> Which luckily for, I think, America and Yeah, himself, America got to see him. Yeah. So this is when the... In 78. In 78, he comes to... It's actually interesting because he originally tries the New York Cosmos try to sell or buy him. Yeah, well, that's where like Pele went, right? That's where Pele went, and that's where Beckenbauer is. Oh, so okay. the guy who beats him in the okay. in Germany World Cup, but they were talking about getting those two players on the same field would have been the greatest combination. Oh yeah, for because sure. they're both pretty much playing total football at that time. But he went out to New York to play some uh, exp- exhibition matches, blah, exhibition matches, and he realized that they had artificial turf. Yeah, didn't want to play on it. And there's another little, a great story about Pele, who ends up signing for the New York Cosmos. The first time he goes out and plays, he comes in and he's like furious in the locker room. And he's like telling him, hey, you need to bring the owner in here. The owner comes in and he can't understand him because he's speaking Portuguese. Portuguese, yeah, obviously. And he's like yelling at him. So he could tell, he's like, get the interpreter in here. Something's wrong. And Pele's like, you turned my feet green. There's like a fungus out on your pitch. And then like they realize what he's saying. And he's like, no, no, that's spray paint. And they were like, what? He's uh, like, yeah, no, that's spray paint that came <laughs> off of your feet. And they like go and wash it off. And he's just oh, like, no. oh. So then Pele signs with them right after that. But Johan Cruyff was like, and is completely right about this, is it's really bad for your knees to be playing on the... It's horrible for your knees. It, it's so... he. And this is like the... F- AstroTurf of the late 70s and all those cookie cutter stadiums that's just like concrete, just absolute trash. I feel like it's uh, elementary school rugs. You know those yeah. elementary oh, school dude. rugs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I feel like that's what they were playing on. And so he told the New York Cosmos he didn't want to play for them. And luckily, the LA Aztecs came in and said, hey, yeah. we have a natural field. Soccer teams have such great names. They're the, like fledgling sports leagues. Yes. They always have the best ones. Almost like ABA names. ABA names, yeah. Kentucky Colonels. Yep. <laughs> so he goes to LA. Um, he says he liked his time in LA. He, he ends up winning um, yeah. uh, Player of the Year in the... The, the league is called the NASL. North American Soccer League. Um, he ends up winning player of the year with the uh, LA Aztecs. And then has something happen that actually yeah. happens to a lot of European players. Oh, that they, I'll bet, dude. They just don't understand. Yeah. Is he gets traded. And he's like, well, I don't want to be traded. And they're you like, that, sell me. that doesn't matter. Yeah. So he gets traded to the uh, Washington Diplomats. Another <laughs> great name. <laughs> I think that might be one of my favorite Washington names. Washington Diplomats. That's a good one. I like um, that. And he said he was uh, furious at first, but once he got there, it helped him do what he did in post-career. So he ended up meeting up with some Kennedys, yeah. some Shrivers, uh-huh. and they talked him into 
putting his time into Special Olympics and kids. Yeah, he did a lot of kids' charities. Kids' and stuff. charities. That's what I wrote about, and this is where he says it, it started was in Washington. Nice. Well, good for him, man. Yeah. That's great. So his this trade that he was like, he was like, what the hell is this trade? Ended up being, he said, was one of the best things that happened to him, like going to America. Uh-huh. Yeah. And making that money. And making that money. And 78 was a weird year for him because he not only sits out the World Cup because of uh, Argentina's uh, dict- dictatorial government, but uh, he's almost kidnapped. This is, this is the interesting thing. So he doesn't play in the 78 World Cup. And when he's in Barcelona... Um, and this is after he retires. This yeah. is after he retires, but still, the national team still wants him. Yeah. Um, I think his wife was almost kidnapped. Is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, his wife was almost kidnapped. And he, the Catalonian uh, government told him to kind of keep it quiet. Yeah. Because they don't want copycats. Well, not something. only that, but it's like almost a Liam Neeson scenario. Yes. Like, that's all I thought of when I was reading this. <laughs> so he's not technically allowed to tell the Dutch coach why he's not going to the 78 yeah, World Cup. exactly. And he just said that he's not mentally prepared. Well, I wouldn't want to travel overseas. No, well, that's... I have to agree with him. I would I would think you would have to be pretty much on your game, and you're just... There's no way to even... Yeah, like... Focus at all. You've, you've almost been held for ransom. It's chill, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and this was like three, four months before. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, this was like really right before... And um, he came out and said he wasn't going to play for him. They actually had a, a letter writing campaign to try and get him to play. Oh my god! And they had no. like hundreds of thousands of letters sent to him. And like, I wonder how much hate mail he got. I bet a, he got a lot of a it. lot of hate mail and a lot of angry pleading. Dutch people. A yeah. lot of what pleading? Like, oh, please, yeah. please. I will suck your dick. Yes, every day on the hour. Well, and he says this is another one of these instances that he regrets because. It's the Dutch golden era. So it if, is, yeah. If, if he had played in this team, they said that he, they pretty much would have won. Oh, that's such weak sauce. Kind of oh, like man. the 74 World Cup where like 10 games, if they had played 10 games, they would have won nine of them. You yeah. Know? Like he was that good and the team was that good. So we see another Dutch team fall in the finals. <laughs> yeah. They seem to be Buffalo Billsian in that way because yes. I had done some research. Yeah, like, totally. They just completely shit the bed when it has to happen. Yeah. And everybody was talking about Cruyff would have made that difference. Yeah, which, which just sucks, but eh. understandable why he didn't go. Oh, most definitely. At the time, it was all hatred. Yeah, you know, like it, it was, like you were saying, just a bunch of angry Dutch people not understanding why he wouldn't go. <laughs> um, so he's done with the uh, American League. He's done yeah. with the North American Soccer League. Nassau. And he tries to go back to Spain and play in a Spanish second division. Yeah. But it's just all... Weird. Shitty and weird. Yeah. But Ajax wants him back. Yes. And Ajax says, hey, you can sell tickets. Come in and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll let you... We'll let you play. Guess who's back? <laughs> yeah. It's actually interesting. He signs a contract that he later is the reason why they um, 
don't re-sign him is he signs a contract that says like IX was selling like uh, 15,000 tickets or whatever at the time. He signed a contract saying that every ticket over 20,000 he would get half of. Nice. So they say that he made ridiculous amounts of money because when they resigned, oh, everyone's going to kind of want to see him. They sold out almost every game. Well, yeah, that's like a George Lucas with the licensing rights. Exactly. For so Star when, Wars. So when his contract comes up, Ajax is like, "Hey, we can't do we can't that anymore. You. Yeah, yeah, we're just giving you like millions and millions of whatever Dutch money is at that. point. Whatever Dutch money is. So he says, "Fine." Um, I, I don't want to play for you anymore. Feinorn, who is another team in, in the Dutch league, said, we'll give you that deal. Thank you for pronouncing that. I had no effing idea what that is. Yeah, like, I speak yeah. German, not Dutch. So, Well, there, and this is why people were angry with him, was they were their rivals. Rivals, yeah. So uh -huh. he pretty much put it out there like, Ajax is screwing me over. I'm going to... Yeah. I'm the only reason people come to these games. Exactly. <laughs> a, a, a little story I, I kind of forgot about, but oh, I yeah. have to go back on it. When Ajax, he got sold to Barcelona. His mom was a season ticket holder for like 35 Please years. Please tell me she dropped them. They moved her seat to an obscured view <sighs> so that she would stop coming to the games. Oh, weak sauce. And he says that it's one of the things that he even looks back on. He's like, I, because it, it's obviously his boyhood club. He loves the club. Well, his mom worked for him. His mom worked for him. And when this happened, when he got sold to Barcelona, he was like, I like cried over it. Oh, not, man. Not leaving the team, not any of that. But when his mom was like, I can't go to games anymore. <laughs> he was just like, oh my God, I hate you. She wants you. to go to games. You give her one in the front goddamn row. That's what they... <laughs> Ended up doing later, but when this happened, there was so much like oh, hatred no. towards him. Yeah, uh, oh. and you see the mismanagement in Ajax. Oh, the Netherlands. Yeah, <laughs> it's at the top for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. So back to Ajax, and then ends his uh, ends his career with Feinhorn. Uh, <laughs> another quick story: his father-in-law um, built the only retirement fund for footballers in yeah, the Dutch league. I saw that. No other league has a retirement fund, and a lot of players like to play a couple of years in the Dutch league just, just for this. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, his father-in-law, actually, when he lost all that money, he actually hadn't talked to him in a couple of months, and his father-in-law was like, you bought what? Pig farms? <laughs> Pig farm. It was like next the next week it like all went under. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be terrible <laughs> it, it's got to be a terrible feeling making all this money for a decade and then losing all of it in like six uh, months yeah it's like the stock market crashing and jumping out of a skyscraper exactly so um, playing career is over and then he becomes a coach at ix and this is where i feel like he puts his his print his his this this is when you know like now that he's finally focused on not playing and just coaching this is when he really shines as much as he did as a player. Yes, yes. This is when he really puts in his system that teams have for decades on. Like, yeah. It, it's kind of crazy how much his system is used throughout all the leagues. Like, you know, it's passed down. He's almost like Branch Ricky in the way, like having these systems taught even to the lowest, like minor league or club level teams. I think Branch Ricky is one of the best. Um, analogies for this because he 
changes the way youth teams are built yep. in, in Ajax and Barcelona and the way that players come through their systems. And that's exactly what, what Branch did. So that's, yeah, that's a fucking great one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I, I always do that too. I try and relate soccer stuff to other sports just because I have no frame of reference. I, that's why I love it. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But something that he talked about was in his first season, the players weren't necessarily up to par with the system he wanted to play. Yeah, so he kind of has to play to what his talent's available and kind of build what he wants. And he's there from 85 to 88, but you can see kind of right off the bat the good changes are being made. They have a, in their first season, they have an 85 goal uh, goal difference, yeah. and they end up getting second, which I think is the most That's insane. for a second place team. And he was talking about they just weren't good enough to implement the system that he has that he talks about as five lines plus the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, it's three mobile defenders, which nobody was doing two no. center defensive mids to facilitate and essentially four attackers, which nobody's was doing. Like his yeah. system was so much different than everybody else's that it, it, it was just so successful. So to, to put it in perspective, Ajax used the exact same system that he had in place in 86 in 1995 to win the Champions League and the yeah. and their and their league. So like he was so He went away but the system didn't because it worked so well. Exactly. So whatever coach was coming in could see how much better whatever he was doing and just pretty much kept going from there. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what makes it so awesome. And by '87, they win a European Cup. Yep. I mean, it all like almost a three-year plan to get everything right and everything in place, and Ajax wins. Yep. And then stuff starts happening with the board again. They yep. he is so outspoken that I bet it's hard to work with him. He's got to be. Yeah, he's got to be a rough customer to deal with. Yes. Like I mean, somebody, that's what everybody says. It's yeah. not like a couple of people. Like literally, everybody's like. This guy's like really hard to work with. And he also hates when you don't take his opinion as fact. Oh, geez. So he's kind of like that guy. You okay. know what I mean? So like he is one of those where you just smile and nod and kind of ignore at the same time. Yes. Yeah. But mm. knows football completely. So when he's talking about that, you should. Yeah, you should listen for that part. Yes. Most definitely. So he goes from Ajax again again to, to barcelona Barca. yeah uh -huh. and he builds the dream team the dream yeah i mean not not the basketball dream team but which played in spain oddly yes. enough but the soccer dream team well i found it interesting that they didn't call his era the dream team which correctly because this five-year period oh they were lighting people up they were so unbelievably great that they pretty much won Everything. And they'd kind of fallen off after he left as a player. Exactly. Again, they'd fallen off and they had not put in this system that he was trying to put in, which was bring these youth players up and yeah. play them in different positions. And mold them the way play to their strengths. Yes. Like identify how they'll fit in this system. What skills do they have? So, uh, and th this was pretty much like a a perfect storm for mm -hmm. him to do this because in uh when did he go to barcelona uh, 89 89 and in 88 in or barcelona 88, yeah. no no in 88 in barcelona they had this huge controversy where they dismissed 14 of their 26 first team players wow so they pretty much had like this huge exodus of players 
they just kick them off a team or sell them or there's what? there's a whole giant story behind it okay. that maybe we'll get into one day but it's pretty much like they were is it a sex cult no, a sex no not cult. a sex cult <laughs> no, and, not, and not a drug thing either oh, i think okay. it was like political and kind of other oh, shit like that no. involved it was it was like a lot of bullshit not fun not cheeky and fun Ex- scandal <laughs> exactly like, no but not as disturbing as that lester city one we talked about that one was so crazy and I remember seeing it on English Sky Sports oh, and God. them just taking the piss out of it almost every single time, just like, and it's a racist sex tape. All right, I'm going to get back into Barcelona. Let's go, let's go to Barcelona and Cruyff here. I'm sorry. So this is a perfect storm where they pretty much kick out all of their first team players. They bring him in and they're like, bring in whoever you want. Yeah. So he brings in Pep Guardiola. Yeah, I know you talked about, I saw his name. I'm like, oh, Chris has mentioned this yep. gentleman. They before. bring in Robert Robert. <laughs> Robert Koeman, I said that wrong, but he ends up being one of the best uh, Dutch uh, players that we see from this era. Cool. From this era, and he brings in all these players, but he brings so he brings in Pep, and Pep's the perfect example because well, he was their coach later. He's their coach later, yeah. but Barcelona wants to immediately get rid of him, so he's a midfielder, yeah, and they think that he sucks. So he sucks. He's he's awful in the air. He can't head the ball. And what Johan Cruyff says is he's doing everything with his feet at speed. Yeah. And that's what I want. So he takes Pep and moves him from the center midfield to the defense. Okay. And he takes another center midfielder and moves him to defense and is pretty much playing as packed forward as you can be. Yeah, yeah. So he takes – and it's hard to like equate it like you were trying to do with other sports, but he's pretty much like taking – these players who aren't defensive and putting them in defense because uh-huh. they're so good at distributing the ball. And this is where, this is why we see in this five year period, Barca just destroy everybody. They went to four European finals and won two of them. Yeah. And, and 91 to 94, they win La Liga. Yep. Yeah. And so. yeah, and four La Ligas in a row. Yeah. So this, this dream team is so good uh rude gullet comes in and dominates mm-hmm. um just so good that it's sad why it's brought to an end yeah so his coaching career is brought to an end because at 45 like we were talking about mm-hmm. he has heart problems mm-hmm. and pretty much would have died like his father did if he didn't have the medical yeah the uh, money the money yeah, yeah. And the medical science, and yeah. he, he uh, attributes it to smoking a pack and a half a day. Yeah, and uh, that uh, definitely will end up coming back to haunt him uh, yeah. down the road. But uh, after he's out at Barca, I mean, he manages the Catalonian national team. Which was, he was talking about when he first went to Barca, he had no political interest in, yeah. and then he said when he took over the Catalonian national team he was like yeah that was political i wanted to show that because they were they're not a great team they're so small they're yeah i mean it's just for those of you who don't know geographically catalonia is just one region of spain yep it is arguably the most politicized region for uh various issues but uh they've been trying for i don't know even how long to be their own country forever yeah yeah and they're not gonna. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but he brings this mentality to Barca that we see even today. Yeah. So the fruits of this of this labor is Lionel Messi. 
Leo it Messi. really is. And with Gordiel as his head coach. Yes, exactly. With So let me even talk about this. So It's passed down his 14 rules. <laughs> yeah. the they He has like other, like he's technical director of Barca and he's technical director of, of Ajax for a bit. And he brings up this guy, Rude Gullet, as a coach who is the coach that brings up Messi, mm-hmm. who is the coach that brings up Pep Guardiola as his assistant. Yep. And it's all of this one family tree of this total football that Barcelona pretty much, I mean, you can see in it's the... It's like a coaching tree, yes. almost. And, it and really is. Yeah, they're really one of the best teams in this era. Like, they talk about it being the second dream team. You yeah. Know? Um, also... This is something that he absolutely railed against was the Dutch national team went away from his system. Yeah, I remember reading that. the Spanish national team went for his system, and you could see the Spanish national team winning the World Cup in 2010, winning the Euros. Didn't they beat the Netherlands in 2010? Yep. Oh, even better. So it was even, even worse, so... Yeah, worse. I mean, if you're him, like, you assholes. Yes, yes. He was very angry with that. Um yeah, just a, a great a great uh, soccer mind. Died in 2016, unfortunately. Lung cancer. Lung cancer. Don't um, smoke cigarettes. Yeah, jeez, man. If you're going to smoke something, make it have a happy ending. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, one of my favorite uh, players, people talk about him being the top three players. Like, it's always Pele, Maradona, and Johan Cruyff. Yeah. And if you're European... You say Johan Cruyff is the best. If you're Argentinian, you say Maradona's, Maradona's the, best. the best. If you're Brazilian, you say Pele's the best. So it kind of depends. If you're American, you also kind of... If you're American, you go, what is soccer? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what Dom does. Yeah. Come on. Robin Williams, uh, what was it? A strange sport played by damaged people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, shit. I love that. We're going to end it on that one. All righty, everybody. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to that podcast. This is just a stock message at the end of all of our podcasts. So we hope you enjoy. You listen to whatever athlete that was. Give us a follow at the Sports Experience experience podcast on instagram also myself at sequin comedy on instagram also Totola dominic on instagram just follow us all around if you have any suggestions for any athletes you want us to do shoot us an email at the sports experience podcast at gmail.com and we always are recording right here at angle studio thank you all very much